Hello, everyone, and welcome to the May 23rd edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarin, and Kelly. Let's get started with our litigation report. Quest Diagnostics has settled the illegal kickback case filed against them for $241 million. Attorney General Kamala Harris announced the settlement with Quest Diagnostics, the state's biggest provider of medical laboratory testing. The settlement with Quest is the result of a lawsuit filed under court seal in 2005 by whistleblowers Chris Rydell and his company Hunter Laboratories. The lawsuit alleged that Quest systematically overcharged the state's Medi-Cal program for more than 15 years and gave illegal kickbacks in the form of discounted or free testing to doctors, hospitals, and clinics that referred Medi-Cal patients and other business to the labs. Hunter Laboratories found it could not compete as a result of these abuses. Based on facts disclosed in the lawsuit, the Attorney General's Bureau of Medi-Cal Fraud conducted an intensive three-year investigation that uncovered widespread abuse of Medi-Cal by medical testing laboratories in California. Similar cases are still pending against four other defendants, including Laboratory Corporation of America, the second largest medical laboratory service provider in the state. Trial is expected for early next year. A federal court judge has issued an injunction against some of the Medicare collection practices used against claimants and claim departments. Medicare statutes provide for Medicare to be the secondary payer whenever there is other insurance that covers health care for Medicare beneficiaries. However, Medicare must make conditional payments for the care when a primary insurer does not pay promptly. In the closely watched class action case of Haro versus Sibelius in the U.S. District Court for Arizona, the plaintiffs are challenging Medicare collection practices. The suit complains that Medicare sends demand letters for reimbursement of Medicare on unrelated items to the injuries. They also complain that Medicare's requirement that beneficiaries pay the demanded amount within 60 days even though they have filed an appeal. A third complaint is about Medicare's requirement that attorneys representing Medicare beneficiaries must withhold funds from settlements or judgments until Medicare is fully reimbursed. As a result of these complaints, the court enjoined Medicare from requiring payment pending a Medicare beneficiary's request for appeal or waiver. The court also enjoined Medicare from seeking direct recovery for conditional payment funds from plaintiff attorneys. This ruling differs from cases in other jurisdictions where Medicare has successfully enforced against plaintiff's attorneys in the past. The court said it has found no case which has considered the propriety of direct recovery actions against an attorney and observed that courts and litigants have mistakenly assumed this was a lawful practice. It is likely that the federal government will appeal this ruling to the Ninth District Court of Appeals, which will then give the outcome of this case significance in California. Experts have concern that the protection given plaintiff attorneys under this case may make the burden on defense attorneys, TPAs, and claims administrators more onerous. Should plaintiff attorneys remain protected from liability, they may be less diligent in their efforts to ensure that CMS is involved in the settlement process. As a result, there will be an increased burden on defense attorneys and their claimants and clients to be diligent. This case is one of two national class action lawsuits filed against Secretary Sebelius by the Center for Medicare Advocacy. 
The other, Jimmo versus Sibelius, is before a judge in Vermont's federal district court. California's Shock Trauma Air Rescue, also known as CalSTAR, and Reach Air Medical Services saw hopes of their collection of tens of millions of dollars of fees from thousands of industrial injuries in a single legal action disappear. Their battle to collect these fees may be reaching the last round. The key issue in their case was the preemption of federal law over state law on the topic of fee regulation of air ambulance services. In 2003, the DWC Administrative Director adopted a regulation which added air ambulance services to the OMFS. Prior to the adoption of the air ambulance provision, Congress had adopted the Airline Deregulation Act of 1978, which prohibited states from setting rates charged by air carriers as defined by the Act. CalSTAR and REACH argued that they are air carriers and that the Airline Deregulation Act should exempt them from the OMFS. In 2009, the air ambulance carriers filed litigation to collect the amounts that were cut from their bills under the OMFS. They also threatened to sue the DWC seeking declaratory relief, confirming that the OMFS provisions were preempted by the Airline Deregulation Act. The DWC agreed that the provisions were likely to be preempted by the federal law, so they removed them from the regulations effective July 2010. What remained in the litigation was the balance of fees over the OMFS that were unpaid. Employers reported that they had been charged as much as $30,000 over the OMFS for an air transport that lasted only a matter of minutes. The carriers filed their case in the federal court system, but the federal court declined to accept jurisdiction, ruling that the mere allegation of the involvement of the Airline Deregulation Act did not give rise to a federal question. The district court's ruling was affirmed by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and the federal case ended with a dismissal. Leaving the federal court system empty-handed, the air carriers continued to pursue their claims in the California Superior Courts in Solano and Sonoma counties. Both state actions have now also been dismissed after the Solano and Sonoma judges sustained defendants' demurs without leave to amend. The state courts have ruled that the appropriate forum for determination of the air ambulance liens is the WCAB. There has been no indication whether CalSTAR or REACH will appeal the state or federal rulings. CalSTAR and REACH may still pursue individual lien claims on a case-by-case -case basis before the workers' compensation judges in the various district offices where injury claims have been filed by workers. It will be seen in the coming months if this option will be their next move. And now our fraud report. A husband and wife team who owned an Orange County gardening and tree trimming business have been charged in a $2 million fraud scheme. James and Dorothy Klinger of San Juan Capistrano are each charged with 29 counts of misrepresenting facts to the state fund, 28 counts of failing to file a return with intent to evade tax, 28 counts of willful failure to pay taxes, five felony counts of misrepresenting facts to a workers' compensation insurance company. Joseph Klinger is additionally charged with 11 felony counts each of filing false tax returns and willful failure to file tax returns and faces a maximum sentence of 
42 years in state prison. Dorothy Klinger is additionally charged with seven felony counts each of filing false tax returns and willful failure to file tax returns and faces a maximum sentence of 39 years and four months in state prison. They have been released on $50,000 bail. The couple have owned and operated Modern Tree Service and JMO's Gardening since the 1970s as two separate companies. Between 2003 and 2010, they are accused of setting up JMO's Gardening with the express purpose of hiding some of the Modern Tree Service payroll and of keeping two sets of books. The insurance premium for tree trimmers is a higher cost than the premium for a gardener. In 2009, the state fund audited one of the businesses and found large amounts of money transferred from Modern Tree Service to JMO's Gardening to pay for payroll and expenses. Further investigation by the Franchise Tax Board and the EDD uncovered the tax fraud. Brian Gross of Valley Springs was given four years of probation and fined $2,500 after pleading guilty to felony contractor's license fraud and one misdemeanor count of failure to provide workers' comp insurance. Officials said he had previously been cited for trying to avoid buying workers' compensation insurance, failure to secure building permits, charging excessive down payments, working outside of his license classification, illegal advertising, and illegal contracts. The license board had revoked Gross's building contractor's license for failure to pay two administrative penalties. <clears throat> Gross was arrested in October by investigators from the Contractor State License Board and the Amador County District Attorney's Office. His sentence was a result, result of his guilty plea to the new charges. And in financial news, <clears throat> after 173 years, Atlantic Mutual, the company that insured the Titanic, sinks. Atlantic Mutual Insurance managed to pay out claims when the legendary Titanic passenger liner sank in April 1912. A week after the Titanic hit an iceberg and sank, the insurer paid $100,000 in hull coverage. But the insurer couldn't survive a wave of workers' compensation claims. The company was placed into liquidation and New York's superintendent of insurance was appointed liquidator on April 27. Atlantic Mutual Insurance was incorporated under the laws of the state of New York back in 1842. Atlantic Mutual surplus was being whittled away by severe loss reserve adjustments in its commercial lines business, mainly from workers' compensation and general liability policies. In 2004, Atlantic Mutual scaled down its operations to focus on personal lines insurance, particularly in the high net worth market but the insurer's credit ratings were slashed in 2006 because of the cost of claims from commercial insurance policies sold years earlier. In 2007, Ace bought the company's high net worth personal lines insurance business. And by 2010, state insurance regulators had revoked Atlantic Mutual's licenses because it had a negative surplus. The liquidation that began in April will let the New York State Insurance Department wind up the company's affairs by selling its assets and settling claims. And in legislative news, SB 899 apportionment law is again under attack in the California legislature. The law after SB 899 allows apportionment of permanent disability to be based upon causation, including risk factors such as genetic predisposition. The legislature passed bills in 2008 and again in 2010 that would preclude apportionment based upon such risk factors, but both bills were vetoed by Governor Schwarzenegger. 
The California Assembly has now passed a 2011 version of this same law. The 44-22 party-line vote on AB 1155 came over the objection of Republican lawmakers who claimed it would hurt businesses still recovering from the recession. Democratic Assemblyman Luis Alejo of Watsonville said the bill would make it clear that apportionment would have to be justified by a pre-existing medical condition, not just risk factors or the likelihood of a condition. AB 1155 has now been sent to the Senate. It is not likely to meet much resistance there since the Senate readily passed a similar law last year. Ultimately, the decision to dismantle SB 899 apportionment provisions will be made by Governor Brown. And while the California legislature considers a number of small bills that seem to provoke the death of SB 899 by a thousand cuts, other states are headed in the opposite direction. The Workers' Injury Law and Advocacy Group, which represents claimants' attorneys, says that workers' rights and benefits nationwide appear to be under greater attack in this legislative session. North Carolina serves as one of the prime battlegrounds where a Republican-sponsored bill would cap the amount of time an injured worker can collect compensation at 500 weeks. Right now, there is no time limit. The state's GOP has tried unsuccessfully to implement caps before, but now that the party controls both the House and the Senate, the measure is more likely to become law. In Illinois, members of both parties have vowed to tackle the workers' comp issue. One proposed provision may fundamentally change the definition of a compensable injury by requiring a worker to show that the accident was the primary factor in the resulting disability. The state head of the AFL-CIO has called this provision a deal-breaker for labor. Last week, Montana Governor Brian Schweitzer signed a bill pushed by the Republican-led legislature that will change the state's workers' comp system by limiting benefits to a five-year period. Proponents said the measure will cut expenses by 25% in a state known to have both some of the highest workers' comp costs in the country and some of the highest workplace injury rates. The Montana reforms came after five years of negotiations. And a standoff over changes to Washington's injured worker system could drag out the current special session of the legislature. Governor Chris Gregory reiterated last week that lawmakers can go home only when they agree on a compromise to cut costs for Washington's work comp program. And in Ohio, the 4% rate cut that Governor John Kasich proposed last week is just the beginning of changes that his administration will seek in workers' compensation insurance in Ohio. These various state proposals are aimed at attracting and keeping employers and jobs and improving state budget pressures. Both are significant unaddressed problems here in California. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, for past editions of our news, and for much, much more. And please remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and our special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your iPod by searching for WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Please stop by again next week for more news. 